0: burrow. com slash acast.
1: Con todo viene Carvajal. <música> Carvajal en banda derecha para Brian. Brian en el piquito levanta la cabeza buscando la cabeza de Bellingham. Remata Bellingham. Segundo palo. Gol. 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 Gol
2: Welcome along to the La Liga Lowdown podcast, my name is Ruri Barlow, I'm joined by Paco Polit, we're off the back of a thrilling weekend of La Liga action once again, I mean it's been a a really fantastic season, it's been uh, an entertaining season, it's been an intense season, uh, but this was probably up there with the best weekend, certainly in terms of goals just on the Sunday uh, alone we had what, 10, 16, 22 goals, Uh, Paco, Paco Polit, how are you doing?
1: Uh, Very well. Uh, Pretty excited to speak about the uh, weekend, which is about to finish when we record this. And obviously, as you said, a very, you know, uh, interesting to watch how um, a competition which had been slammed in the past for not really delivering on the promise of excitement and goals and whatsoever. Suddenly you come across a few bangers in the same day. Uh, Osasuna Getafe was an, an excellent game overall. Also, we have all the spiciness and controversy surrounding that Real Madrid-Almeria game. Betis-Barca more, uh, you know, uh, level than uh, expected at the beginning um, because Barca were, you know, very, very um, threatening in the first half, but suddenly Betis had a comeback and Barca really had to struggle and, and you know... Uh, go down and dirty with their grittiness too, to win the game. And finally, you know, Girona capping off the, the Sunday with a masterful uh, masterclass against Sevilla, which were absolutely thrashed by uh, Dobic and, and his teammates. Yeah,
2: absolutely. They will kind of address those top three First and foremost, I'll just kind of run through the results quickly. Girona were last up on Sunday night against Sevilla. 5-1 Dolph pick with a six-minute hat-trick, which puts level on goals with Jude Bellingham on 14 in the Pichichi race. Uh, That was after Sevilla had taken the lead through Adria Pedrosa. And then Stuani and Sigankov added goals. Barcelona beat Betis 4-2 away from home. They were in control. Ferran Torres with a brace. Isco hit back with a 90-second brace in the second half. But Barcelona is Joao Félix appearing on time over the last minute to take them 3-2 ahead. And Ferran Torres completing his hat-trick just before the end. Almeria looked as if they were on for a huge upset with Nargir Ramazami uh, Scored in the opening minute, followed by a brilliant strike from Edgar González. Uh, second half comeback, we've seen this happen before. 99th minute, Danny Carvajal gets the winner after Vinicius Jr. And Jude Bellingham had levelled things up plenty of controversy in that one as we will come on to though as well Osasuna got a big win against Getafe uh, 3-2 and a brilliant brilliant Jesus Aretha goal to yes. to kind of get the winner in this one really something we'll have to have to discuss uh, on Saturday night Real Sociedad went away to Vigo and won 1-0 with a Bryce Mendes goal Valencia beat Athletic Club at Mestalla on Saturday evening as well Real drew 1-0 with Real Mallorca with Mallorca getting Javi Yabes, I think it was an added time, an academy player from Mallorca, grabbing the equaliser after Gonzalo Gedge had made his debut. Las Palmas beat Ravi, kind of 2 0 on the Saturday afternoon game. And then Alaves, Friday night, beat Cadiz with big consequences, which we will come on to in the second part of the show. But I think probably the place to start here, as much as I would like to start it with Girona, has to be at the Santiago Bernabeu 3 2. A thrilling game. Real Madrid get back into it, get the win eventually. But this was mired in much controversy. There was three of our decisions that were kind of overturned the referee's original decision. That was the first time in La Liga history. They all went in favour of Real Madrid as Ana Maria had a goal disallowed. Uh, Real Madrid then had one given for a handball. That It was given as a handball and then they had the goal given from Vinicius Junior um, and then a penalty as well. It, w- it was highly highly controversial and um, and fair to say Almaria weren't happy after the match they tweeted uh, don't expect us to uh, publish a match kind of report you all saw what happened guys Cagatano was was furious Mark Bubi uh, came out after the game and said that uh, somebody wanted Real Madrid to win and that's that's kind of what happened Paco, take us through this because you had your strong views too. You said it damages La Liga, mm-hmm. and you said it makes it seem like a scam to people who are coming from outside. But it.
1: yeah, it, it, it basically m- makes everyone who is uh, on looking uh, from the outside or from you know abroad believe that this is a fixed competition because at this point, you know, the game was uh, the the refereeing in this game was atrocious in many many levels, and uh, there were. A large number of other plays, which were just omitted by the refereeing. For example, there was a a blatant uh, hit uh, by Vinicius Junior to a defender on the face, which was uh, blatantly also overlooked. Uh, as you said, all of the rundown of 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 the controversial calls by the VAR always went in favor of Real Madrid, which was uh, mind blowing. Because, for example. Um, I think Bellingham's first goal. Uh, there was an also blatant foul by Rudiger, uh, you know, getting on top of a defender when trying to head the ball, which was pretty obvious for whoever was watching the game. But but the referee, both him and the VAR room, decided to just uh, you know omit that that part of the play. Later, uh, Benitez's goal, you know, it was a handball. It was a clear handball. Every <laughs> single replay of the of the play was a handball. And they allowed that goal, and ultimately, you know, that um, goal being disallowed uh, for for Almeria in the second half was also, and also the 11 minutes plus, um, you know, extra time for for the second half. You know, it was everything. Everything happened uh, towards Real Madrid, um, you know, overturning the the score line. And I absolutely understand uh, Almeria fans, Almeria players, the you know Garitano Almeria's uh, manager because ultimately they lack that kind of media power or or media backing to to really make their voice to be heard in these kinds of daylight robberies, like the one that they suffered, um, in such a scenery and in such a a venue like uh, Bernabéu, and especially as they are, you know, bottom of the league, uh, they haven't won a game, they are enduring a very, very, you know, harsh season upon them, and, you know, uh, even after all of that, you could see many fans uh, traveling uh, away from home, jumping on their cars, going all, all the way over to to Madrid, um, watching the game on the stands. And suddenly, they are uh, 2 0 on top in the first half. You know, they had the chance of delivering maybe one of the biggest blows of of the season to to a uh, competition contender, and also becoming a turning point for themselves in in the in the league. And the way they got, you know, I think they got uh, a service a made to both to them and to the whole La Liga in the way the refereeing was, uh, you know, so focused upon aiding in some way Real Madrid to, to win this game.
2: Yeah, Carlo Ancelotti came out after the game and said that he understands Almiria's frustration with the VAR but that in his mind all the decisions were correct. Is there any kind of argument for Ancelotti here? Does he have a point? Because, I mean, it is one thing for VAR to kind of intervene and it's quite another for the decisions to actually be correct. I mean, Yeah, I I have my opinions. Paco, it sounds like you don't think that Ancelotti was being either totally honest or seeing it with kind of a neutral view there.
1: Well, obviously, Ancelotti is going always to say that uh, they are, mm, whenever they get, uh, you know, a bad uh, refereeing decision against them, they are the victims. And whenever they get benefited, like uh, tonight, uh, that everything went down fine in his book. So i didn't expect more i didn't expect less from from ancelotti back in the day i had a quite a strong opinion upon what ancelotti meant for football i consider him you know a true gentleman in many ways but that kind of public opinions regarding his behavior at least in my view have changed quite a lot in the last year since he blatantly lied in that valencia real madrid game uh you know accusing all of the the whole ground of of racism when only a handful of individuals were were the ones uh you know to blame and then i realized and after ancelotti has done also a couple of things which were a bit wobbly uh, morally wise that it comes down to you know every single manager protecting his own team and Mm, you know saying everything which is going to appeal and, and make happy his his own fan base I understand that I respect that but you know the the opinion that I used to have back in the day regarding Ancelotti has drastically changed and tonight is you know just another page in that in that new book being written
2: yeah I think the reason this feels so injurious is because yeah this is like you mentioned it's an Amore side that are the ultimate underdogs yeah they are doomed. They are doomed. They have, not doomed. Doomed. Season. They have n- yeah, you know, their chances are, are so they... slim
1: to none at this point that um, maybe winning, you know, sometimes it has happened in the past. Winning such a massive game as the one that they were playing today could have meant maybe the, the you know, um, heaven or hell. Uh, such a massive difference towards the, the morale and towards the, you know all of their hopes regarding the the you know the potential shot of of saving themselves from from relegation but you know it just seems that almeria can't catch a break and you have to add the fact that garitano was sent off by the referee in the extra time in the second half and also i believe that um uh, gonzalo melero is going to be harshly uh, manhandled by the the referee committee because after the game he, you know, was uh, making strong statements about the the whole issue regarding the ref and the, his calls and, and the daylight robbery that they suffered. And, you know, refs in Spain don't really take well that you doubt their professionalism, which is at this point in an all-time low, by the way, but they can't, uh, you know, ban me for four games, but they can do exactly that to Gonzalo Melero. So I expect a harsh, harsh treatment and a harsh, uh, you know, penalty being settled upon him.
2: Now that that's kind of out the way, um, in terms of kind of this game, I mean, it, it was quite a big three points because if, uh, yeah, if Real Madrid had lost that game, then it would have been the gap down to um, just four points from Barcelona. Um, it would have been five if they'd drawn. Obviously, it kind of feels to me like unless we get a miracle, that Real Madrid are just two far ahead right now to, to really can contemplate losing enough games for Barcelona or Atleti or Athletic even uh, to, to win this league unless it's Girona and, and today again was was evidence enough of that for me. I, I, there's a lot of games they've not played well in this season or they've been fine um, but they seem to keep pulling out these results don't they Paco?
1: Yeah I think that's the, the way the way it works for, for Real Madrid. Actually there was um, a quite interesting moment during the halftime. Uh, when Almeria were 2 0 up, and Ancelotti didn't go into the locker room, he stood outside uh, on top of the pitch, and he was already, you know, delivering his his instructions and and his uh, you know orders to the three players, uh, Brahim, José and so on, that were going to uh, come on the second half. So it really means that first up, the whole Real Madrid squad knew that they had bottled the first half and they had done a you know awful job throughout the first 45 minutes. And also the confidence by Ancelotti that they are big boys at this point and they don't really need their manager to tell them that they had done awfully in the first half. So that's why Ancelotti uh, kept himself outside of the locker room. I believe that uh, a couple of the big players like Carvajal and so on uh, might have you know, delivered a couple of yells uh, inside the, the locker room telling their teammates that... Uh, you know, we often say in Spanish "tenemos que espabilar." You know, we have to do better. We, we have to improve as quickly as possible in the second half. And you could definitely notice the, you know, Real Madrid's attitude and drive and motivation were uh, up a few notches in the in the fe- second half. But again, if the refereeing hadn't been so decisive and so capital in this game and so crucial in this game, um, I don't really think that Real Madrid would have pulled off the the win.
2: Yes, and. Speaking of kinda of Girona and that miracle, the Miracle is still going, they are top of the league. and um, they are a point ahead of Real Madrid, although Los Blancos obviously have a game in hand. Five one they thump Sevilla as we mentioned earlier. Dovbeck just for the first ten minutes of this game, Sevilla kind of looked pretty good. They were pressing kinda of quite high, they were getting some joy against Girona, but Davic just tore through them in the space of that kind of ten minutes, and from that point, the game was kind of over. And this was this was party football again from Girona, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it was amazing. You know, the the, the way Girona were able to once again overturn the odds against them, especially after those those first, as you said, 10-12 minutes before uh, Girona leveling the the game. Uh, Sevilla's uh, first couple of minutes were quite you know decent overall. Um, once again, uh, Isaac Romero making you know his mark in, in the game. He scored twice in Copa del Rey only a few days ago, and and he got another goal tonight. But it, it was a mirage, you know. It was uh, in Spanish as pejismo uh, because suddenly Girona uh, got their machinery working, and you know gears began turning. And before Sevilla really knew what had happened to them, they had been run over by a truck. And that track had the name of Arten Dobik behind his his shirt. The the goals that he scored, you know. Uh, Sabino, uh on the left wing was absolutely unstoppable throughout the whole game. I think that Savillo's individual performance was even mightier than than the one delivered by Dobik. Uh because he was crucial. He I think he had three assists overall and you know, he was massive. And yeah, uh, his runs on, on the wing were were perfect for Dobi heading home the, the first one he later finished the second one uh, with an assist by Porto. uh Dobrik's third goal was excellent you know just the way he was on his own in the attacking front he got control of the ball he was able to maneuver with it and, and just run against the the opposite goal um and you know from outside the box on the on the limit of the box just a mighty strike to score the third and suddenly, after uh, going on top in the tenth minute, ten minutes later, Sevilla were trailing three-one, and that was just uh, impossible to to overcome. And during the second half, Girona were just playing the waiting game, uh, waiting for the uh, perfect moment to to strike, like a, you know, a cobra snake. And they actually did. The the number of shots on target was eight for them. They got five goals, so that speaks volumes of their. Uh, efficiency, their accuracy, just their, you know, the, the, the way they clinically finished. Sigankov with the, the fourth and finally Stuani um, once again um, heading home the, you know, finishing from inside the box the, the fifth in the 89th minute. So overall, Sevilla mm, didn't know what hit him. I think that they were just unable to, to uh, hit back once Girona started playing at, the, at, the, at their finest, at their best. And yeah, another team which uh, visits Monty levy and and sadly for them has to leave with a a massive sack of, of goals being allowed on the on the back of their trunk.
2: Yes absolutely and Sevilla now still seventeenth, um just a point above Gadith in the relegation zone and Granada have their game tomorrow on Monday night against Atletico Madrid, although they can't make it out just yet, just on Girona before we before we can kind of move on to Barcelona. Real Madrid scored three goals today Um, They're the second top scorers in the division But Girona are now eight goals clear of them In terms of goals Scored 51 goals in 21 games And I think one of the things as well That really illustrates just how good this Girona side has been um, Is the fact that today they were missing quite a few players Mm. I mean, Alex Garcia was suspended Um, They're they're missing centre-backs I mean, Juanpe was starting today for one of the first times With Eric Garcia out um, And David Lopez as well, suspended and one player had to come off with an injury. And so you had Atal, um, I'm going to have to try this name, Antal Jakobishvili. That was actually not as hard as I expected. But yes, 19-year-old Hungarian defender coming on. First appearance did pretty fine. Um, and Aleish Garcia is obviously the conductor of that attack. They didn't really miss a beat. They looked like Girona. And I think that's, again, one of the, I mean, all we've done this season is praise Girona. But one of the things that we should praise him for and in particular, Miguel Gutiérrez as well mm-hmm. just continues to grow. There's a play with Savio on the kind of left-hand side where the ball kind of is dropping towards Savio. He chests it inside. Miguel Gutiérrez, first time, back-heels it um, behind the defender and latches onto it. Dovbik uh, gets onto Savio's cross and they end up just kind of... I think it's Porto hits the bar um, in the end after he gets laid mm-hmm. off by Dovbik. but it was just absolutely delightful football and uh, and yeah if there's such a thing as required watching then that is Girona this season generally Barcelona have not been that this season but they were pretty watchable tonight 4-2 win over Betis and I think this was aside from kind of 10 15 20 minutes where Betis really kind of got into the game and looked dangerous Isco obviously with that brace this was probably one of Barcelona's best performances in the season and all the more sweet when Joel Felix comes and gets a a very important winner right at the end
1: yes and actually I think that they were you know 100% uh, on target Uh, four shots on target for goals so excellent accuracy for for Barca in that sense even though they uh, amassed a couple of uh, chances being uh, disallowed by the VAR I I believe a couple of of disallowed goals uh, by Ferran also by Lewandowski in the first half but yeah as you said I think that the first half hour by Barca was was pretty remarkable um, with Ferran you know um, being the one with that kind of magnet inside the box being able to finish every single ball which was uh, you know moving uh, surrounding his uh, influence area but once again uh, they were very close to their own demise Uh, and it had to be joao felix you know coming from uh obscurity because he he wasn't really uh you know nothing really great to to say about João felix before the goal um to to solve and save the day uh regarding betis i think that they weren't that impressive throughout the game they only had as you said maybe 15 20 minutes in the second half when they were able to level the game with that uh brace and overall him commanding the, the operations from the from the midfield but yeah barca improved a little bit um you know both in their self uh, awareness uh um, you know performance overall uh, football play style and especially you know accuracy and and ability to score uh improved a bit over what they showed against um, against the opposition in the in the Spanish Super Cup but again I think that even though Xavi insists in press conferences um, speaking about La Liga and their chances of, of becoming the champions again and so on I think that their level of consistency is a couple of steps below what Real Madrid offer and and obviously what Girona are offering so maybe at this point uh, I'm not saying that Barca should settle for third, for third uh, especially as you know you have Athletic club over there atletico madrid after uh, you know winning that uh madrid derby the other day and moving on to the later rounds in copa del rey i think that uh, the kind of motivation for atleticos has, has become increased and uh, you know and they are going to to be a tough nut to crack but yeah bars at this point they only can hope of securing the third spot and just keep winning and hoping that both Real Madrid and Girona stumble. Not hopeful or um, not uh, likely at this point uh, because of the as i said the level of consistency being showed by the the two teams at the top of the league but um, unfortunately for Barca they have had their their fair share of missteps in the past so and, and playing and the, the waiting game is the only the only chance that they have.
2: You mentioned Betis there, yeah. I mean, you look at kind of their team today and you do kind of see signs of them kind of struggling. Abner Vinicius is not entirely convinced since he came in to replace Alex Moreno. Uh, Socrates Papastatopoulos obviously, he was brought in as kind of an emergency signing and, and looked a bit emergency today. Bayerin has been up and down as well. Johnny Cardoso started his kind of uh, first game, I think it was, for them in La Liga the first start at least. Sané Jao is obviously only 18, Luis Enrique has been inconsistent, so it is quite a fresh team for Betis, it's not the team that we've been kind of used to over recent years. But I guess as well for Barcelona, the one thing that's kind of been frustrating fans more than anything is the fact that there's been a lack of progress under Xavi in recent months. It doesn't seem to be going in the direction. Today, they started with Pau Cubarsi. He made his uh, starting debut in La Liga, 16 years of age. Lamin Yamal, for me, I mean, Torres got the goals and, and was obviously mm-hmm. probably man of the match, even though his was given it somehow again. Uh, Lamin Yamal, for me, was the most impressive, yeah. the most dangerous. And also Lewandowski was taken off with half an hour to go or so. Uh, it was Vito Roque that was uh, brought on. And, and ultimately, which while Felix was the one to make the difference. But are we kind of seeing a bit of a shift in Javi? In Xavi? Is he starting to look at the older guys and say, look, if you're not going to perform, if you're not going to win these games, then Alba you. I'm going to bench you.
1: Yes, and I think that he's taking the, the appropriate stance towards the, this whole issue because ultimately his job is on the line. And uh, the amount of rumours you know, surrounding Barca's bench are have reached uh, such a level where xavi must think uh solely about surf preservation and if that means benching veteran players so be it especially if the youngsters uh deliver in such a way as as they did tonight as you said lamina possibly was the mvp of the game even though he, did get, he didn't get him get a go a goal on his on his resume but uh, his performance was mighty on on the wing um i think that in the midfield uh gundogan also had a, a, a remarkable game alongside uh, frankie de Jong. Uh, at the back whenever you have araujo besides you it's always uh maybe the m- closest things to a hundred percent guarantee that things are going to go down uh in a you know in a, an appropriate level to your interests and that was that's what happened with pau cuarcy Uh, on his debut, Uh, Xavi isn't really afraid of making uh, these players to to have uh, big minutes uh, during the season. We have seen that, for example, with Fermin lately too. And yeah, Araujo and Pau uh, did a um, good job throughout the the whole game, even though in those 15, 20 minutes of Betis' dominance in the second half, they suffered a bit. But yeah, I think that uh, is trying to shift that kind of responsibility of, of pulling off the wins from the veterans into the youngsters in the same way uh you know other teams have been doing exactly that for example Valencia we're going to speak about them you know in a few minutes but but they have done that they have delivered most of the relevance and most of the pressure into the youngsters and the youngsters have stepping being stepping up to the plate uh for most of the time so that exactly what happens happened tonight with with Barca and if you add the fact that Ferran Torres was on his you know tiburon mode shark mode with that uh, accuracy mm-hmm. finishing inside the box and as i said earlier with that kind of magnet into every single loose ball which went inside uh, overall yeah Barca suffered more than expected but ultimately you can't say that the win was undeserved
2: Absolutely, absolutely. That will wrap up the first half of the show. We're going to take a very quick break, and then we'll be back to you with another sacking in La Liga. Don't go anywhere.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
2: Welcome back to the second half of the show. It's Paco Polite joining myself, Rudy Barlow. I promised you sacking discussion and Alaves have sacked manager Sergio Gonzalez after, I think it's his 17th game without a win at Cardiff. It goes right back to September. I mean, they've been pretty poor. They're in the relegation zone. Luis Rioja penalty, a stupid penalty as well committed by Cardiff. Uh, Condemned them in this game to a, a defeat, which moves Alaves up to 12th. And, and big ups to them and Luis garcia Plaza. But yeah, the rating was kind of on the wall for Sergio for quite some time, wasn't it, Paco?
1: Yes, I think that uh his latest run of of results, especially as you said, uh, losing on the road against Alaves, which is ultimately a direct, uh, you know, enemy in that in that. Uh, race to, to avoid the relegation also the way they lost al Meran- Nuevo Merandilla last week against Valencia uh, allowing for goals on their own home um, you know losing on the road against Granada uh, I think that they picked points against Real Sociedad and uh, Las Palmas too and also against Osasuna but you know getting knocked out by Arandina and Copa Rey didn't help uh, earlier and their run of draws was Five draw, five draws in La Liga, five consecutive draws in La Liga uh, since losing against Real Madrid back in uh, back in November. Cadiz's last win was against uh, Villarreal on September first. <sighs> so yeah, obviously <laughs> uh, reasons were stacked against. Uh, uh, Sergio Gonzalez the, the cards were uh, stacked against him and the odds too and uh, yeah ultimately Cádiz wanted to to have um, a couple of you know chances of of uh, pulling a miracle and try to overturn things and uh, you know the board even though Sergio managed to just scrape past uh, the relegation spots in the last 2 3 seasons uh i think that the board seemed uh, thought that the you know his run was over and he had nothing more to add uh into the squad so yeah now the process begins uh of uh choosing and picking um a replacement and it's going to be very very hard because ultimately cadiz is one of the smaller smallest budgets in in la liga uh, their squad isn't really remarkable in any sense um, and uh, they don't. You, you re- mentioned
2: that in terms of the squad, and yeah, I, I kind of look at this. So we've remarked on many times that Cardiff have one of the kind of bottom three budgets they have done. For we a have few spoken years. about
1: this quite a lot in in this show. Yeah, yeah I,
2: I, and Las Palmas. I mean, Las Palmas have kind of re- re- reevaluated or revalued their squad because they're doing so well. But I look at the table, and Las Palmas a la vez Um, maybe Granada, but I'd still kind of give Granada an edge over Cadive. In terms of quality, those are the only kind of couple of teams that I would mark out that Cadive are anything like, but they're probably amongst the bottom three sides in terms of individual quality in my view. Is there any hope for the manager that comes in to try and get more out of them? Do they have enough? I mean, you look at goals which is their big issue. They've scored just uh, 15 goals all season in 21 games and Chris Ramos is a fun a decent hard-working striker. Um, but probably not laden with goals. Mm. Brian Ocampo is good for out wide, but not a goal scorer. Darwin Machi, at times does get goals. Roger Martí has in the past. Sergi Guardiola has a few in the past. Negredo too. They've got a lot of strikers, but nobody that you can really yeah. rely on, do they?
1: Yeah, back in the day, I remember when Choco Lozano was there and he was their best striker. And I've seen Choco Lozano 12 years ago, I think, in, in Valencia's academy when he was a youngster. And... Uh, by the way, he isn't really having his his chances over at Getafe, but yeah, losing these kind of players who suddenly fits perfectly into into a squad uh, was damning on on Cadiz, and yeah, we have to compare them to uh, the rest of the of the teams that uh, you know race to to avoid relegation. I think that Cadiz have the worst squad of the league, not not bottom three. I think that the worst squad of the league, quality wise, would be Cadiz, but which was. Uh, Sergio's, uh, you know, uh, miracle in the last couple of seasons, he was able to build a very, very strong side, very, uh, you know, hardworking, very gritty, very, um, I don't know. They made themselves uh, a force to be reckoned with when, whenever playing at Com and Nuevo And everyone knew that they were in for a harsh time. Maybe not hard with D, but harsh with SH whenever they played over at uh, Cadiz, because they were a very, very tough team. Mm, I think that Fali, their central defender represents everything which Cadiz was back in the day. And this season so far, they have just been unable to replicate that kind of uh, hardworking attitude, grittiness. And overall, uh, teams have found it very, very easy to, to win over. At, uh, at Cadiz and that has been ultimately damning for, for the manager but Almería we saw it tonight against Real Madrid have a better squad Granada have, has better players Sevilla, Real obviously so Celta, Vigo. also I think that keeping Benitez as a manager is a risky choice but I think uh, ultimately is going to work for them. Mallorca also surprised me because they should be uh, getting better results overall. Rayo Vallecano mid table already and you know, last season they were uh, fighting for Europe, so um, I think that they have better squad. And Alaves, um, that should be more or less in the same tier than Cadiz, they were able to sign, for example, a massive player in, in this market, Carlos Vicente, coming from Ratin Ferrol, who is an excellent, excellent winger. And they are already reaping the benefits from from signing him because he has been uh, huge for, for Alaves in the last couple of games, so yeah we suddenly we have done the the rundown and we are all already in the 11th place so yeah unfortunately for cadiz the manager who who is brought in um, is going to have maybe the toughest job of his career because ultimately only a couple of days pending from this uh winter transfer market and Cardiff don't have the cash to be splurged so he will have to do with, with what he has and what he has at this point isn't really that much
2: yeah absolutely and uh and yeah it's going to be a very very uphill task for Cardiff. but we have seen them look kind of down and out before and that's when Sephio came in and did uh commit or, or did uh, bring about his medical at the time so we shall see maybe caddies can perform it again i was speaking to somebody with kind of osasuna links here and uh and they beat Hatafe 3-2. Obviously, Iker Munoz with a very good goal. Boral Garcia de Arro uh, opened the scoring. Hatafe looked like they were getting back into it. They had scored twice in four minutes through Borja Mayoral and Maximovic. And then Jesus Arezo with what has been compared to, to Roberto Carlos' kind of iconic uh, sideline strike against Tenerife, it really was something else. It goes in off kind of the other, the far post, and it? It's it's a magnificent strike, and the, yeah, the uh, Osasuna person who, who shall remain nameless for now uh, was saying that we had to dedicate the whole show to him. So uh, so yeah, it's not the whole show, but uh, wax lyrical on this goal and uh, a decent, a big win for Osasuna over a decent half side.
1: Yeah, especially as uh, things went south for them in the second half when they thought that they had the game under control. You know, they got uh, Tunil up very very quickly in the first half, um, commanding with the perfect attitude with El Sadar uh, pressing forward. And overall, I think that Osasuna are slowly coming back to that kind of football level that they uh, showed last season, which uh, ultimately allowed them to to fight for European spots um, in this previous round last summer. And uh, they they had the chance of killing the game very early. Um, By the way, Iker Muñoz was also quite great. Um, But yeah, Getafe are just the... Getafe can be easily compared to uh, Jason Burghies of the Friday 13th uh, series. You know, whenever you think that he's done, he comes back uh, to life once again, and he shows that he can harm you and mess you up quite badly. And that's what Getafe did in the second half. Uh, uh, Enes Unal had been quite awful in my view in the first half, but he suddenly uh, resurrected in the second and Borja Mayoral scored the 2-1, later Maximović only three minutes later scored the the leveler and we had a game with 20 minutes to go. And I think that uh, Arezzo's goal was obviously a strike of massive luck. But again, these kinds of goals <laughs> happen sometimes. Uh, Spanish listeners or Spanish born and English speaking listeners and maybe... Listeners from abroad too might remember that we have a perfect example uh, of this kind of goal, both in La Liga and in international competitions, because Roberto Carlos scored a very similar one back in the day, obviously in the opposite side of the pitch in Tenerife. And Andoni Goicoechea, who was a player for um, Spain's national team in 1994, he scored a screamer very, very similar to this one against Germany in the 1994 World Cup, which was, you know, the first thing, the first uh, picture which came to mind after watching Arezzo's goal live was Goiko Echea's uh, massive strike in the in the World Cup um, 30 years ago already. Uh, time flies. So, yeah, massive goal, massive win for, for Sassuna, and they are already, you know, mid-table after suffering highs and lows in the last... A uh, few months, uh, but again, I expect uh, greatness from, from this team from Jago Barrasate, uh, from Braulio Vazquez, their sports director, and overall from an organization which is uh, great overall and an uh, example to follow by any mid tier or even low tier squads. In La Liga, if they want to thrive and succeed, very heady company that
2: Jesús Álviz is in there. But congratulations to him and to Osasuna for for yeah. If you haven't seen it, go and check it out because it is really a phenomenal goal and one that doesn't quite make sense. You have to watch it a few times to work out kind of what exactly has happened and why it's ended up in the net. But uh, but yeah, fantastic strike. Uh, moving on to kind of the European race again, we'll just kind of make our way back mm-hmm. up the table. Athletic Club you mentioned earlier, kind of just behind Barcelona, but they did drop three points against Valencia. This was quite a shock for me. I, I really expected Athletic to get a result. I mean, it's it's kind of came out of nowhere, but Valencia, I mean, I've said it before, they're a tough team to kind of chew on for those bigger sides sometimes, especially at Mestalla. Hugo Duro got the, the, the big winner, but you did pretty well to Stanley and Athletic side, which has just been kind of running through sides. How did they do it, Paco?
1: Well, I think that overall the game was, uh, you know, the game deserved a, a draw for, for both sides. I think it was very, very, very leveled overall and very balanced throughout the whole game. Um, athletic had their moments of dominance. Valencia had their own moments to, to score. And ultimately it was, a uh, uh, you know, a uh, spark of brilliance coming from from Gaya in the left wing with an incredible cross, uh, you know, a first touch, incredible cross on the wing and Hugo Duro being able to, you know, take advantage of the mistake by the central defender and head home. And later, Valencia were able to really uh, show how uh, slowly but steadily their squad, their very, very young squad with players who are 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, uh, they have slowly been amassing that kind of experience to uh, send games to sleep in the last few minutes. Uh, Back in the day, especially back in the day under Baraja, when he came first to to Valencia at the beginning of February last last year, uh, Valencia lost a large number of games in the extra time. And so far in the last... Couple of months, they have been able to really nail down that kind of, uh, you know, maturity to to don't uh, leave the game and the and the scoreline to to let go of their grasp. So, yeah, fourth uh, win in a row for Valencia. They have the best streak in the competition at this point, alongside Real Madrid and Girona, obviously. And uh, you know, suddenly all of the gossip and uh, you know uh, chat chit chat surrounding Valencia in the city have shifted from you know, the race towards salvation and achieving 42 points as soon as possible. Suddenly, fans are already dreaming about uh, fighting for Europe and so on. Um, Myself, uh, I'm much more cautious because in the same way Valencia have managed to win the last four games, they are perfectly capable of losing four games in a row. I've seen that in the past, so I wouldn't, you know, uh, make my mind upon, you know, leaving behind the the aim of of salvation I think that Valencia need to focus on winning three four more games I think that two three games should be should make the trick and if they are able to achieve that before for example before February or March has finished then uh we can seriously speak seriously speak about Valencia uh, going gangho ho towards fighting for European spots which would be in any regular season uh, historically wise uh, a lesser objective for Valencia because they should be aiming, aiming for a top 4 spot because of tradition because of uh, history and because of how big and massive the club was back in the day but unfortunately due to Peter Lim's mismanagement, mismanagement of the club um, Meryton were the ones to settle at the beginning of the season publicly, Lei jun the president were, was the one to say it that you know remaining in la liga was the goal this season and fortunately for everyone baraja is doing an excellent job a perfect job i would say with all of the youngsters and they have been overachieving so far we have three teams at this point overachieving all of them in their own way obviously girona obviously las palmas who has been surprising everyone at this point and uh surprisingly to valencia i think that the level of you know overachieving that they have uh, accomplished this is very remarkable and i think that all of the merit uh, has to be uh, delivered to both the players and the and the staff because uh, the sports direction and the management of the club have helped in absolutely nothing
2: yeah absolutely you mentioned carlos vicente earlier for alavez he was heavily heavily linked with valencia and, and a number of other clubs but uh, ultimately seems as if they didn't get the green light from above to recruit him. But uh, we'll leave it there for kind of La Liga. I mean, just a, a final note, I want to say, Real Sociedad uh, go into battle with Celta again for a second time on Tuesday. They actually, I don't think they're actually leaving Vigo, um, but mm. thoughts are with Ian Munoz, who tore his cruciate ligament. Um, he'll be out for eight, nine months. I think it's the fifth cruciate ligament injury they've had in the last two and a half, three years. Um, so, so yeah, it's a lot, and, and so with him, Kieran Tierney is obviously their alternative at left back, and a very good one. Um, but given they're in Europe and in the Copa del Rey, they're going to have to compete. And uh, yeah, just before we wrap up, um, I want kind of one thought or one one thing to look out for in quite a tasty Copa del Rey quarterfinal slate: Celta Vigo as I was saying at home to Real Sociedad, Real Mallorca take on Girona at home on Wednesday night. The late game on Wednesday night is a humdinger. that is Athletic Club, San Mames, Barcelona, Copa del Rey Classic. And then Atleti face Sevilla at the Metropolitano on Thursday night as well. Anything you're particularly looking forward to or just straight down the middle, Athletic, Barcelona, um, Copa Classic, as I was saying?
1: I have one comment about every, every draw. Um, Celta could easily, you know, we've seen that back in the day with centenary teams and centenary clubs. Valencia back in the day in 2019 um they were struggling in La Liga but Copa del Rey suddenly became their their salvation overall for the whole season and you know Celta beating Valencia for example last week moving on to quarter final playing at home over at Balaidos against a mighty side like Real Sociedad who are also you know they have become some sort of specialists in the last few seasons in this competition they they uh, won it a couple of years ago um it's going to be a very interesting clash Uh, once again i always think that master and magician rafael benitez maudes has uh, another ultimate trick uh, inside of his sleeve Um, regarding mallorca girona obviously the favorites are girona because of their form but again on a single game a 90 minute game playing away from home and also playing against mallorca with a very experienced and veteran manager like. El Vasco Javier Aguirre uh, it could easily become a booby trap for them Atletic Barca, I think it's up for grabs, but in this case I think that Barca are in for trouble, because um, you know, Ernesto Valverde, former Barca manager he had a great run, in my view, as a Barca's manager and in my view too, he was unfairly sacked back in the day in 2020 in January, and he has been doing wonders with Atletic Club, remember their uh, philosophy of not really signing players from uh, abroad or from outside the Basque country and so on, and with that kind of limitations that they settle upon themselves, they have been also overperforming this season. So, playing at San Mamés, mighty mighty ground, mighty you know mighty sanctuary for football in our country. It's it's going to be a, a great game to watch, and Barça are in for trouble. And finally, Atletico Sevilla. I would say that Sevilla faced this game with a 1% chances of winning. But again, Quique Sanchez-Flores was a former Atletico de Madrid manager. He really knows how to ruffle feathers and, you know, play into Atletico's weaknesses if they have any. So, if Atletico de Madrid are able to play with Griezmann uh, on his top level and Morata scoring and so on, they should have zero trouble, you know, knocking out Sevilla. But again, Atletico play on Monday and later on Thursday. They have only three days to recover uh, towards this game. And uh, Sevilla, even when, uh, you know, injured in La Liga and suffering and struggling, they are always a very, very dangerous side whenever playing Copa del Rey.
2: Absolutely. Plenty to look forward to. And we'll be back on Thursday night to kind of wrap up and review those games in our premium subscription so go and if you aren't already subscribe to us at llonline.substack.com and upgrade to to hear that but uh, yeah keep an eye across our written pieces there as well if you aren't already Uh, but yes thank you very much to Paco thank you to the listener for joining us after another as I say entertaining thrilling controversial Uh, very very good weekend of La Liga at any rate Um, And yes, I will bid you a good semana and adios.